0: We are in Nehemiah chapter 2. This is the real world that we live in. You know, we bring forth some of the things that uh, we struggle with, we're weak, people are, and uh, God always takes care of us. But, you know, it's a real world and it's been uh, definitely tainted by sin. And it's not quite as perfect as we like it to be. Uh, There was this jaded pastor. He said uh, originally his life's goal was a huge silver banner, and on the on it was the words "Win the world for Christ." And uh, you know that was uh, pretty optimistic. Eventually it became "Win one or two people," and then it got to the point "Try not to lose too many." (laughs) We we say that in um, in fun and jest, but. Uh, sometimes we can be overly optimistic or we can be overly pessimistic. You know, we've all heard of Murphy's Law. Everybody knows about Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Actually, you know, when you're at the grocery store, you're in some kind of a line, um, at the bank, whatever, Walmart, and, of course, you see that other line over there and the other line you think huh if I get in that line it looks like it's going quicker and you go over there and you get in that line and guess what it all of a sudden just stops slows down somebody brings up something up there they don't have the price for and then you see that other line you were in and there was two guys behind you and they're already out of there and there you are standing that line you ever done that no, you guys probably haven't but I sure have Carolyn knows all about that always looking for that that better line but uh, how about when you're shuffling through some papers and they've been there for ages, and you say, I, "I might as well get rid of this," and invariably, by next week, for some reason, you need that paper, and you've destroyed it. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: that's right. Because one day you might need it. <laughs> the whole basement full, right? Boy, did we have a we had a whole basement full <laughs> before we moved here, and uh, it, if we had a basement. We have to have it full. Again. <laughs> I got. I sure have a whole room full of papers, so, though. Um, anyway, uh, I think of Johnny there. You know, he works on cars and machines and stuff. And you know what's like? You drop the tool, and the tool always is drawn to geographically the center of the car. You know, it's not on the outside, or you can go. You know you know like a foot under there it goes all the way in the middle of it. Is that's is usually what happens right <laughs> so I didn't make that up I thought it was just me <laughs> so actually Murphy really was an optimist you, you, you get what I mean Murphy's law you know what I mean <laughs> as we look at that well, you know we chuckle at this we, we, we talk about the real world you know what I saw her eyes open they're open right now I, I'm not kidding you they're really open Janice is gone I, I can't see her. She's turned around the other way. <laughs> Sunday, were they opening it? Ah, aha! She's getting to be... Uh, she might be awake one of these days more than she sleeps. Uh-oh. <laughs> anyway, things don't always go smoothly. Almost all the time they do, right? <laughs> we hope anyway. But they don't always do that. And we know that we're not guaranteed a trouble-free life. Now non you haven't been around that long, you know. <laughs> so I know everything has gone pretty smoothly for you. No, so no. you can't you can identify with that, right? Just kidding. <laughs> Matter of fact, um uh, I think as one goes in, in, in the world they see a lot of things that just don't go the way that we like it. You know, we we tend to be idealistic maybe, especially I think when we're younger. But uh that's that's part of the world. Um uh, I think the same thing can happen in the uh, the spiritual realm when when people get an opportunity to to minister a little bit and, and of course, to serve God. Really, what, that's what we do. We want to do God's will. And you think, okay, doing God's will. Everything should go pretty smooth on this, right? Everything should go just the way that we... All rosy. Well, it's just kind of like the way that life is. It's It's realistic. And, uh, of course, I'm not trying to be a cynic here and and, uh, uh, be on the the negative end. But uh, Nehemiah actually faced real problems. And things just didn't seem to be real smooth at uh, the time that he was uh, doing his ministry. But he did come away with a lot of accomplishments, great accomplishments. And I think by by looking at him, we can probably uh, learn some things about waiting on the Lord about working with different people dealing with different people and then wrestling wisely with the problems that are facing us yeah. problems that's, that's really what we are we're problem solvers because problems are always coming up there's just different ones every day there's just coming in different gamuts and so we always are trying to figure out how to deal with this problem and this problem and uh, Nehemiah does it really well as, as he serves God that's what we're uh, going to be looking at tonight. Uh, we're in chapter 2. And um, we start in verse 1. We'll read so far. I uh, did have a, an outline. I put it in the copier. It goes real well with what I'm talking about. Things don't always go so smooth. I put it on on to make one copy and see how things were. I walked away and started doing some other things. So, yeah. If you want an outline, (laughs) the back of my house. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I I did. I, I, You know, I really did have that. Thank you guys for asking. You would do that because a lot of times they're right up here. I have them here. Oh, yeah, I've got them right here. But this time... Uh, so it's it's a great lesson to show that things don't always go as smooth as planned. That's what I had in mind. Put it in the copier, make out the copies, and just put them here in the Bible and make sure that I get them here. <laughs> okay, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad? though you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. The king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with um, with me officers of the army and horsemen when at the Hornite Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel and that's about half the chapter there I believe it's 20 verses isn't it yeah so we've got Nehemiah now in action in chapter 1 we saw the great prayer that he had by the way that prayer probably was not only said once it was probably said many, many, many times. And we can kind of get the setting because this chapter begins with a kind of a chronological note. It compares with one chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, now, it happened in the month Kislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital. Uh, so it's the month Kislev there. Now it's the month Nisan, and we're talking like four months. Okay, somewhere around... Thanksgiving to Christmas time to in the springtime. That's really what this is, and that's what he's been doing. He's been praying. He's been burdened. We know that he got the news right. What did he do when he heard the news? He wept. Um, you know, and, and he was really feeling this. I mean, this this was a part of him. You know, he, he fasted. He mourned for the news that he had heard what was back in uh, the homeland. It was a grievous situation. So
2: he, he got the news four months ago. He got it four months ago and then he just now... Right, to you. right.
0: All that time. Oh. And, and that's good. We'll make that clear there because he got he got the news from his brother and some of the other guys. They come back telling that. Now he's been praying for four months. He didn't go up to the king and tell him immediately. Right. You know, you would think, okay, we got to take action. Let's go.
2: Right. <laughs> he, no.
0: he didn't do that. He, he sought the Lord.
2: I wonder how long, like if, he, if the king didn't see his sad face, I wonder how long it would have gone before, you know, like if, if God was like, okay, like God took it out of his hands to actually start it. God told him what to do and then left it up to the king to ask the question when the time was right. Because, you know, I could imagine what he was going through like this is the great king you know I'm, I'm a servant I pour his wine you know what am I if I ask him he could put me to death <laughs> so you know
0: that's a, that's the deal yeah. and you just said hey, it's 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 God who makes this thing happen
2: All right
0: but he he God didn't do it immediately and I think that's always a a good thing for us to always learn. Uh, you know, we, we we definitely see waiting, we see patience here. But really, four months may seem like a long time, uh, especially in the grievous situation that that he was in. But you know, you think about Abraham, he waited like twenty five years for God to give him Isaac. Um, then you think of Joseph, you think of him being in Potiphar's house, and then you know, as a you know the slave and. Then he was put in prison, and so that was a while there. Or you can think of Israel, they were in uh, Egypt for 400 years. And uh, then you can think of uh, Moses, he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Um, then the nation, whenever uh, Moses delivered them, you know, going towards the promised land, it was 40 years there so you know it doesn't always happen instantly does it and then we can think of David you know he was anointed to be the king but Saul was king and Saul was the one that was trying to kill David all that time and he spent most of the time he was whenever he was in his 20's running from King Saul and then we have the apostle Paul who was named the same name Saul Uh, he spent three years alone in Arabia just studying the, the things of God. You know, he was an obscurity. You know, he was he had been known as quite a you know the Pharisee. And uh there he gets uh, alone and he waited on God. Now, waiting's a hard thing to do, you know. Uh some you know, life is short, time flies by, time is wasting, you know. We want to keep it moving. Let's go. And God puts us on hold. Well, what do you do while you wait? Well That's the first one. There are three things here that we can see that Nehemiah does. If you had your outline, you'd see the first one. says pray. (laughs) Number two, he developed patience. I think he probably had some patience before, but he even gets more patience. And then he has planning. That's another thing that he's doing during this time. He's planning. Whenever that time comes that he can say what he wants to say, then he can say, uh, say what he's been planning. So the prayer that we looked at last week from verses 5 through 11 on chapter 1, it's not a one-shot deal. It was probably over and over and over again. And uh, you can look in... Well, we you know, in chapter 1, 5 through 11, there's a prayer there. I think there's like 11 times in this book that we see Nehemiah praying. Go to chapter 2, verse 4. And, that, and we'll be touching this tonight. Then the king said to me, "What would you request?" So I prayed to the God of heaven. You got to like that. He asked him a question. and he prayed right there. And it was like one of those prayer one, one short sentence. you ever done that? They don't hear you, but you're praying, Lord, what do you want me to say here? Is this the time now? you know okay, thank you, Lord. You know? He's saying it under his breath. And so that was one sentence prayer and he, and he does that a lot. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 4. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. That's whenever they were being ridiculed, whenever they were doing the work, the rebuilding there. Um, Chapter 4, verse 9. Uh, well, in verse 8, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. See, things are just going just the way that you would like to planned it. But all this um, opposition comes. And then verse 9, what does he do? But we prayed to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. They prayed. They kept their powder dry. You ever heard of that one? Well, is that, is <laughs> that like, Pray, it, keep your powder dry, be ready you know, to fight. Be ready you know. to, to go in action, but at the same time, depending on God. Right. Because He uses us. Yeah.
2: I think uh, the weekly phrase right here where He uh, says, turn their approach onto their own head and give them for for a praying in the land of captivity. I mean, that prayer is not like you hear, like, oh, i mercy and forgiveness. It's like. Yeah. Take them away from me. <laughs> Keep them far away from
0: us. That's right. That's right. He knows what they're about. Yeah. David does that a lot too, doesn't he? In his prayers.
2: Yeah. Mm. But it's yeah. righteous
0: man's prayer. Exactly. And and there's times to to be praying for them. and There's times to, that God would, you know, do something there because he knows what their intentions are. Um, In 519... Remember me, oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Another little prayer, one, one sentence. A lot of times, um, chapter six, verse nine. No, 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 no. Oh. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Hey, do we say this? We say these kind of prayers. Oh Lord, I, I think we probably say it every day. Give us the strength, of the Lord, to be able to do what we are to do. You know, whatever it be, just just the mundane things, the physical strength, the mental strength, and spiritual strength. You know, I don't know that word just keeps popping up in my mind all the time. I got a feeling it does yours too. Here we have it. Here, oh God, strength in my hands. One, one little short sentence. I think this is a great example of being praying always, just lifting up little thoughts. You know, knowing that God is present there and talking with Him, communing with Him. Um, verse fourteen of chapter six. Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah. The prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. There, there you go again. There, Vel. This is like that other one back there in the uh, the other chapter we just looked at, as he talks about these other ones, uh, the reproach that they had brought. And remember them, God. You know, they're trying to frighten us. Um, chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. Remember me for this, O oh my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and services. He said, "Remember me, Lord." You know, things that you've given me to do, and uh, I, you know, He was faithful. He was doing that. How long did he live? Do you know. Anybody know?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I I don't know.
2: Okay. I mean, sometimes when he says, like, remember me," it almost sounds like he's Every time he's like, remember me, it like as he's kind of just
0: fading away. Well, I know by the time we get get to uh, this area, he actually had gone back to Persia. He'd mm-hmm. it, it gone back there a couple times. And of, course, of course, he had returned. <coughs> and uh, the thing is, is that they were, the people were, Becoming very disobedient again right. by the time we see this, so there has to be another revival. Right. Um, this whole cha- this whole book, is really about reformation. These people uh, need to be reformed in their in their thinking and in their faith and in their work and serving. And uh, Nehemiah is the one to do it. Right. It's, uh, so it really was not easy for him at all. You know, he had to battle with his own people a lot. So you know. So this
2: <clears throat> He got permission to rebuild uh Jerusalem starts building, gets it done, he leaves, comes back they there now being disobedient again.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what he finds, and they're not keeping the Sabbath and you know they're 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 selling things right there, you know, around where the temple is at and such, so yeah, it was disheartening because he had set something up and it was looking, you know, pretty good and then all of a sudden it started falling and then he comes back and he finds that.
2: people were so willing to work together to get it rebuilt. Certainly
0: were, and they did it really quickly. 52 days. Yeah. This is uh not unlike the reality, is it? This is reality verse 29 he says this word a lot remember them oh my god because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the levites hmm? remember lord whenever somebody has done something there he prays for this a, a third time desiring god's blessing on uh, on on his obedience that he had, had. uh verse 31 and I arrange for the supply of wood at appointed times, and for the first fruits, remember me, O oh my God, for good, and that's the way it closes, <laughs> so he's always talking to the Lord. He is a man of prayer, and uh so that is uh definitely something we we have to look at first thessalonians five seventeen says, "Pray without ceasing and i I like this in chapter two, verse four, where uh the king notices that Nehemiah is sad in his presence. Why is your face sad? Well, you're not sick. Evidently, he must have been a pretty upbeat person all the time. And, and you better be. If you're underneath the king, you don't want to be sad. You don't want to be a downer, right? That's exactly right. They could kill you, have you beheaded, throw you into the dungeon. Lose his job, everything. He had the greatest job that you could have. It was pretty cushy, you know. Uh, Only thing is, we know that his life was at stake any time that he did his job in tasting the wine for the king. (laughs) Because that was, people would, that's how they would kill kings, they would poison them. And so that's what he did. That was his biggest job, but he sure learned a lot um, being underneath the king at that time. You know, kings, they want somebody that's happy uh, around them. But on this particular day, he wasn't. He was having a day and he was showing. I'm sure there were times that he didn't feel like it, that he still maintained the look. But uh, the whole aspect of what happened at Jerusalem is still on his, is on his face. Uh, gravity of that situation. I, you know, you look in verse 2 and it uh, says he's very much afraid. Whenever the king says that, this I, then I was very much afraid, terrified. So, how does he handle it? When the king says, eh, what's, your, what's your request? And he, he goes immediately to the Lord. Real quick, two seconds. <laughs> Whatever. Lord, help me here. Give me the wisdom. Help me say the right thing. They prayed to the God of heaven. That's what he said. Prayed. And then you got to like what's right after that one. So I prayed to the God of Heaven. I said to the King. <laughs> he speaks to God, and then all of a sudden, now he's speaking to the King, <laughs> the King of Kings. Now to a King. I said to the King, and so he, whatever this silent, instantaneous cry is, it's help, Lord. He depended on the Lord in every situation, and here it is now and the Lord has opened it up. How many times have you prayed to the Lord that you would pray that, Lord, give me the words to say, give me the opportunity to be a witness for you to this person. Lord, you open it up. You make this happen. You know How many times have you done that? No, I don't want to be coming in there and doing something on my own and saying at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, Lord, help me. And this is remarkable. The king just says yes. Yeah. Wow. You wouldn't expect that.
2: Right. But, why? Right. but why? Especially after like, he's afraid.
0: He was very much he was, afraid.
2: He's afraid because he knows the kind of king he's been serving. So then he makes the request and he gets it. So <laughs> it's like, oh, huh. like all that weight must have just like fell off.
0: I thank God it had something to do with it. <laughs> Have you ever been in those kind of situations though?
1: Yeah. You've
0: actually, you know, muttered something in your breath to the Lord, and then, you know, things just work out. You go, wow, that totally surprised me. But all at the same time, you're saying, well, it shouldn't surprise you because we you know we prayed to the Lord, and the Lord says this is the right timing. Proverbs twenty-one-one says a lot about this, and this is one of my favorite sovereignty of God verses. Proverbs twenty-one-one. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Well, he does here with this king, doesn't he? This is a king of pagan. Hudson Taylor said it like this. It's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Prayer alone. I think... The reason, one of the biggest reasons that God makes us wait on Him is He teaches us to depend on Him. We live by faith and not by sight. Live by faith. Just depending on Him. We don't see it. We don't hear it. We don't feel it. But at the same time, He says, just trust Me. Trust Me. If He went around immediately answering every prayer that we'd ever ask, and doing it right now, would we really have... Well, we're, we say we're dependent on Him, but, you know, you think about that. Maybe we would never really learn what it is to wait on the Lord. We'd never learn. Uh, and, and in this way, it's a good way to teach us a lot of things, isn't it?
1: Well, you'd think it was just a genie. He was a genie in a jar. If you
2: could just pray it and it too.
0: Yeah, just... just for whatever you throw up in your mind. You know, not right. have it.
2: You get like three
1: wishes. Yeah, <laughs> right. You get three prayers. Right. Or you become very and disrespectful.
0: Right. The good hand of our God
1: is upon us.
0: Right? Yeah. So, in that way, we get him all the glory. And Nehemiah knows exactly what has happened here. He's prayed to the Lord, but now it was time God opened it up and, and uh, actually answered yes. The, the king does. Um, and you take this character of Nehemiah; he is he is a man of action. You know, we see him all through the the book of Nehemiah, acting upon things, doing them quickly and you know, swiftly. Let's let's go for it. Let's do it. But at the same time. He's a man who waits on the Lord. That's pretty unusual. I think that's very remarkable. When you have a natural bent for being swift at things, decisive, his priorities lay in the fact that I don't want to run ahead of God. Quite a quite a lesson. So he never really rushed. He did wait on the Lord. Uh, quite a heavy burden. God opens the opportunity. Uh it's interesting as he lays it out here. What would you request? Verse five I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs. He didn't call it Jerusalem here. Matter of fact, there was some uh, rebuilding going on there before. This is the same king that made it stop because there was there was some fighting going on from the other governors anyway. Uh, and they didn't want to see that happen in Jerusalem. And so with all that kind of a mess going on, he said, let's stop it right now. And so they did. And, and there the city lay as it was. And so this is the same king that did that Nehemiah knows that the king is probably sensitive about the area of Jerusalem. He doesn't even say Jerusalem here. He says something that I believe that would identify or the king would identify with is this is where my father's tombs are. You know, a long line of history. You know, coming from my family and others' families that we just that we'd rebuild it doesn't uh, bring up maybe a sore issue of uh, Jerusalem. He says, Well, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. It actually pleased the king. I mean, he gets a blessing out of this. And I gave him a definite time. And it doesn't say here. We do know that he returns, and and we'll learn that as we go through the email that he returns back to the king because he told him a definite time. It was probably sometime after they rebuilt the walls he returns we don't know how long he stays back where he's at but at least he reports back to the king and cuz the king wants him right. you know he says well, when, when are you going to be back you know okay I'm going to let you go you can go and do that but you know I need you yeah or something of that line so he he told him a definite time and and he made it back within that time i'm sure he kept his word sure and i i said to, to the king If it please the king, look here's the plan here. Let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. That's pretty smart, because there's no way that he's going to get through into the next area where the next governor is at. They're not going to let him pass through and live. (laughs) But he's got a free pass. And if it's coming from the king, the king of the <laughs> the whole area, matter of fact, the known world at that time, of course they're going to let him pass. And he says a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. They're going to need wood. They're going to need the gates built. There's going to be some things that they're going to need from there. That's not a bad request, is it? Mm-hmm. That he may give me timber to make beams for the gates. Of the fortress which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. He even asked for a house, a place to live. Yeah, when you go back there, there's probably not going to be a motel 6 yeah. even, You know, got to have a place to live. And so he even asked for that. Gets it all. Finance is taken care of here. This is great. Well, Thanks, credit
1: card, man. Thanks credit card.
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> This this is how, you know, God blesses in there and works this out great. He, you know, it's all at the right moment. Um, it's been said a lot of times when uh, graduates come r- fresh out of seminary, they go bursting into a church and they start trying to change things automatically. People have been there for years and all of a sudden you got somebody changing everything. And even in the doct- the doctrines of, of grace and... and uh, sovereignty of God uh, doctrines one has to be careful how they use the terms and what they say when they're coming into a place because a a lot of a lot of the Baptist churches whenever you would have uh, seminary students come maybe even from Southern Seminary they would go right into a church immediately and they would last a few weeks to a couple of months That that wasn't going to go over. You just can't come in there and start changing everything. Even though what they're doing maybe would be right and it would be good. But they're not patient. They think they can just come in there and hammer away. And uh, they do the damage. And they do damage to the church and to themselves. And and they wind up getting out of the ministry because... Uh, didn't seem like things went their way. I've heard that story over and over and over again. Well meaning, good, so, solid doctrinally, but yet to be really careful how how it's approached. He had a definite time uh, all that time of advanced thinking and planning and how long he had be gone. You know, he just didn't say, it. Oh, it's up to the Lord. You know, he's kind of got a time when it's going to be. Uh, I think in chapter 514, he was in Jerusalem for like um, 12 12 years. Probably he, you know, and that's maybe uh, going back. um, Probably he finished the wall, returned to report to Artaxerxes, and then came back to serve as the governor there for like 12 years. So that's kind of the idea of the the definite time, the definite request that he had, the the letters and the passing through the territory, uh, the king's force to get the timber. He gets protection. He's well off financially in the sense of what he's being able to come in there with because they don't have resources. And uh, the king had sent officers of the army and horsemen with him. And then in the next in the next verse after that, in verse 9, then you have Sanballat and Tobiah. And of course, we know what kind of havoc they want to wreak. But uh, he thought, planned about it. God opens the door. Right. The timing is right.
2: That's uh, pretty awesome how God tells him, and then four months later, he has that much time to prepare to really think about what needs to be done, what they'll need to build, she said, like, if he got the message and then he was supposed to go to it right away, there's no, I don't know what it is. And so then it could have been very, like, uh, oh, send another letter. Oh, send another letter. Oh, send another letter. <laughs> well, we need to send a servant now because the letters keep getting lost. Wait, <laughs> so, so, wait. so it's like, he, God gave him that amount of time, and he'd been praying, and I'm sure God had been answering his prayers, telling what he needed, you know, for everything to line up so perfectly for him to be able to get all that he requested. I mean, what would have happened if you had to make another request? Like he said, "Oh, I requested things," and all of a sudden it's going to take says, a long time. Says, oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. request another. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, he was afraid Good. the first time, and then you know, he received the confidence when he said, "Yeah, you can have what you need." So,
0: very true. That's that's exactly what uh, what's going on there. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting how he's working with this unbelieving king here. You know, he's right. Nehemiah's boss. And, he, you know, he's he's afraid. You know, and especially when you're in front of the boss of, of the world, you know, uh, it's, it's, that's got to be a tough thing to do. But, um, and, and of course, in Ezra 4.21, it says, that's where I was giving you the idea. The king had previously stopped the work on the wall. Uh, And that's why it would be pretty sensitive to be saying, hey, I want to go back there and start the wall up again. Uh, So he uses a lot of wisdom, doesn't he? Um, And by the way, the kings back at that time, whatever they they decreed, it was unchangeable. You might remember that. You you see that throughout, uh, especially at this time, that uh, if they say something, then that's the way it's going to stick. They don't reverse their policy. And that was the policy about Jerusalem. So this was not an easy task all the way through. Uh, but God moves through, uh, and and then the, the prayer, this private prayer, and it, it just softens the heart here. And uh, a very difficult thing. Just amazing how God does things in His timing, and whenever we're right in with His will and His timing, how things just open up. You've seen it before. Of course, you've seen other times when it doesn't. Because The door doesn't open up, it just shuts. And that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean anything bad, but um, it is really good to see that open door sometimes, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. Um, I think he was He was a great witness to the King, His character that He had all along all the years that are the time that he had been with the king i think he had shown you know that he was a um, a faithful man to to the king and a very godly character i think he's very tactful i think he has reverence and sensitivity here and, and and he says some some things that the king can identify with you know as far as that culture is concerned and then he's able to give his verbal witness in, in a sense like that Okay, now we move on. We see how he relates with the king. Let's see how he works with believers or people that are supposed to be of God. They're demoralized. We will say that they're demoralized believers, if that be the case. Verse eleven. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I rose in the night. It means he was there three days until he he started really started taking some action. I rose in the night. This is interesting. In the night. I had a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal in which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was no place for my mount to pass horse can't even go in there so I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall then I entered the valley gate again and returned the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done nor had I as yet told the Jews the priests, the nobles, the officials or the rest who did the work I didn't tell anybody that's sick except the ones who were with him. Imagine this scene. Every day, the people who live in that area, they always wake up and see these ruins. You know, it's just despicable looking. You take a walk outside, broken down walls, burned down gates, no defenses, no security. I mean, there's really nothing there to really look at. It's It's a mess. Remember the news that was brought back to the That's what these people wake up to every day. That's that's the area where they live. Would they ever have the resources to do it? They are so down and so out, they don't expect to do anything there again. They're just stuck. And even if they did start to do anything, where would they get the legal permits? <laughs> you know, you got to have a permit for everything today. Well, even back then, the governor's, would have to have that. Of course, the king, you know, king has said that's not going to go on. So, would their opponents, even if they got something started, would their opponents let them finish the job? <laughs> it seemed bleak. This is the situation that Nehemiah is coming into—an absolute, total, bleak, negative situation that's not going to happen as far as the people are concerned. They're stuck. There's no way out. They lost their vision. You know, they've lost their enthusiasm. Um, this is just the way it is. Boy, that had to be really bad. A bad situation. That's exactly what Nehemiah says it is. But, you know, they, they can't see it taking place. They have no vision whatsoever. Ever. So, they desperately needed for someone to come in and get their whole mindset changed and to get this thing going. And so this is where God raises up Nehemiah. Now, I have to wonder if maybe there were some faithful people praying and somehow, Lord, if you could bring somebody with the means to be able to lift this place up, you know, but they don't know how to do it. So was people here that at the time? Oh yeah, definitely. They had returned back from the land where he had been. You know, they'd been captives in Babylon and this and there was a king that came along, Cyrus, who actually let the people go back home.
1: Huh.
0: Now that usually not wasn't the, the case right. that you do, you know, but um and he was in God's hands too. Right. So, and that was even prophesied.
2: So the people came
0: back to ruin and they decided to try to rebuild? Well, they had started. Ezra had been there. Ezra had led them. They'd started the walls. Right. And for some reason, and I think it was because of the opposition that was coming up against them, and who knows, maybe there was some new fires that had happened. We know that was burnt from Babylon, and that was well over 100 years ago. But it's possible that uh, the opposition, the enemies, could have caused more havoc there. And so now there it, it just sits. The king told us, stop it, okay? It's, it's just gone too crazy there. So God says, okay, now Nehemiah, it's your turn. The Jews in Jerusalem, you know, they can believe in God or at least they, they believe in the covenant promises intellectually. Mm-hmm. Where their hearts were at, we don't know where all that's at. But rebuilding the wall, that had been shot down they were likely to resist if an outsider like Nehemiah comes in there and tries to make things happen because they know that they're going to have all sorts of opposition. So what are they going to do? What's Nehemiah going to do? Uh, I'm sure they would tell if he would have come in there right off the bat and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the walls and Right there, immediately he would have met resistance. Oh yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Right. Who are you? What, do you? what do you think you're doing? You know, we tried to rebuild that, and so it was going to—it was just going to stir up more opposition. And, but he had his secretive preparations. And he anticipates the resistance. He knows that, hey, listen, if I say something now off the bat, they don't even know who I am or what I'm about, really. I mean, I can tell them, but now, I think he had done his homework. And now he goes out where they're not seeing him. If he goes out there and starts investigating during the day, then they're going to see him. They're going to wonder, what's this new guy about? What's he doing? And so he does his homework at nighttime. And then um, after he did all that, puts the thoughts into his mind, and of course you know he's a praying man, so he prays to God. He spent three days doing his homework, right? And he does all this. He calls the Jewish leaders, the people together, and he states the problem. It's found in verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate. Gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be of approach. And then what he does, he does not just doesn't say that. Here's where he starts building up some confidence. He says, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. The king himself then they said let us arise and build <laughs> after he tells them all that god has done and how they've gotten there and there it is you know with with the resources they have and everything they got to be looking around and going wow um there is something to what's happened how did he ever get here with this all this stuff
2: it almost, <laughs> go ahead it, it almost sounds like when he tells them I got the permission it almost sounds like, like the very next verse like they're like yeah let's
1: rebuild because
2: <laughs> like, with like all the reasons they would have just went out the window and they're just like totally for it no one's against it it's just kind of like sounds like you know, the way it comes out when it's being read like you know let's rebuild
1: and they're like yeah let's rebuild let's rebuild <laughs> down, down I,
0: they are they are and they wouldn't have been how how you know God has has just worked in Nehemiah all the way through here, and you know he, he identifies himself with them. You know he's in there with, him. and he doesn't say, "You got a problem." Yeah. He's actually saying, "Hey, we." You see the bad situation we are in. He doesn't start blasting them. will not you? How come you guys haven't been busy? How come you haven't been building this thing up? Come on, aren't you people of faith? He says. You see, it must have looked terrible. Ruins. You've seen ruins after wars and stuff, you know, whether they'd be in Germany or wherever, or, or lately, you know, of course, the Middle East, you know, bombings and whatever. Um, identifies with them. Identifies with the problem. He didn't blame them or anything. And he says, we don't want to be a reproach. I, I like that. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. An embarrassment, uh, surrounding neighbor. We're a joke to everybody else around here. We're defenseless. We have no walls. What are we, you know? And and people have have uh, really just joked about them all the time. Anyway, so he, he identifies the, with them all the way through. We don't want to longer no longer be a, a reproach here and and he tells them that God had been favorable all the way through. Maybe he even had the letters and he said, hey, take a look at these letters from the king.
1: <laughs> <Look.
0: laughs> <laughs> Got to be something that's uh, made an impact. And like you say, they turned up. It's just like from just hopeless to what a hope they had. Just like that. It's like instantly, let us rise and build. There's no way they would have done that had he come in there, you know, and say, "Okay, come on, let's get to work, you lazy people." <laughs> I think there's an art there to to working with people and learning to, to to motivate them. You you just don't want to say things that they just want to hear. You want to give truth, but at the same time, it's with tact and sensitivity. He tells, "Hey, this is this is a bad situation, but it's not hopeless. We can do this." He says, "Let's let's let's arise and build. And of course, they they say that. (laughs) And so he gives a realistic assessment. That's how he identifies with. He gives a call to action. We have a foundational issue here. Um, He calls them to think about where they stood and how the world looked at them. They don't look like God's people, you know. He motivates them. It's the hand of God that's done that. And... uh, They're going to work, and they're going to work diligently. This thing's going to be finished in less than two months, and that's a wall. Um, J.I. Packer gives um, three, I think, helpful meditations here that are really good. Uh, One of them is when the Bible talks about work, it has in view much more than that going to work, you know, for money, for gain. You know, we think, oh, that particular... Yeah, everybody's got to have a job to to have the support to be able to live, you know, a house and stuff. So. But he's going beyond the job or employment that it's quite a gift when God gives that idea of work. It's found in Genesis right off the bat. You know, that's what they were to be doing. Number two, Packer says, the Bible envisages life as a rhythm of work and rest. And of course, you think, The six days of uh, of work, and then, or or you have you have work by day and sleep by night. Of course, in our times, it can be the other opposite sometimes. But uh, we labor for six days; we have one day of rest. Right? There's this pattern that he set forth, and really, there's not secular work; it's all spiritual work. Do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Right? And number three, that Packer said, it says. God made us for work. And what it does, it gives us fulfillment, uh, a contentment. Uh, uh, And it follows us all uh, all the way into eternity. You know, Like, whatever we do, the talents that He's given, whenever we use those, and regardless of whatever it is, you know, it can go to... You know, you even think of baseball players. It doesn't seem like work, but they really work at doing what they do. That's the craft that they've been given. They were given that kind of... Now that's their artistry, you know, to to be able to do that athleticism and put it into a, uh the best thing that they can they can possibly do. Uh I'll look in Revelation twenty-two, chapter twenty-two, verse three. Last chapter of the Bible. There will no longer be any curse. Amen. Amen. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Amen. And His bondservants, His slaves, <laughs> us, will serve Him. That means we just won't sit idly by with the harps in our hands, <laughs> as people so often you know, joke about or whatever. But we'll serve Him. What a great opportunity. We'll, we'll serve Him gladly, perfectly. There won't be any sin. And if you look in um, verse 5, there'll be longer any day night they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the lord god will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever serving him reigning with him forever and ever what a what an opportunity that uh, that he gives us you know it's here uh, do your craft, whatever you do, do it, do it good. God has given you that ability. Learn to do things and and develop the skills and when you do that, there's a certain um, aspect where you feel fulfilled in doing that, and it's because God is the one who's giving you that ability and that talent that you do so you know there there's some contentment in, in that kind of work. Well, right at the end here uh, of Nehemiah two um. Uh, let us rise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Diligent work, just as we talked about. But, <laughs> God tells them to do something. There they are, they're doing it. But, when Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Her- Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we are his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. I like that. These are local, regional governors. They're subordinate to the king Artaxerxes. And they feared the well being of Jerusalem, they feared the well being of Israel. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. That's up north. So we'll see Sanballat throughout the rest of the book here. Tobiah, another one. His name is Jewish. It means Yah is good. (laughs) Tobiah. Yah is good. He ruled the Ammonites and that was to the east. And then you have to the south is Geshem. He's the leader of the Arabs. <laughs> so you got the enemies on every direction. And of course, if you head uh, west, very far, then you have the Mediterranean Sea. Anyway, it has those three guys. They all oppose the fortification of Jerusalem. They join together to ridicule this whole project that's going to be done. Um, Nehemiah just meets them head on. He confronts them. And he'll do it several times. He tells them the God of heaven will give us success. Get a shower. (laughs) Wake up.
1: (laughs) Well, the people say, let's arise and build.
0: And what does the enemy say? Let's arise and stop them there's no winning without working and warring and that's what they're going to have to do opposition is expected Noah had it didn't he when he built the ark Joseph he had opposition Moses, Joshua, Elijah John the Baptist most of all Jesus Christ how about the apostles Paul later spiritual warfare Jesus was opposed by the Pharisees the Sadducees the priestly family Paul was opposed by many, you know, Alexander the Coppersmith, you know, and just go on and on about that. And you know, you have to think about the enemy. In Ephesians two one through three, it talks about what man is and how blind he is. He's dead and he sins. So we look at them. We are spiritually alive. We have every reason to know that we win. So I think there's a great deal to learn from uh, Nehemiah's approach. We know there's going to be approaches. Approaching us is going to be problems. And the enemy will see to that somehow. Whether it be Satan, the flesh, the world, right? But you know what? Wait when? We trust in the Lord. There's a balance in all that. We have to be real knowing that, okay, not everything's going to go right but at the same time we have the balance of knowing that uh, realistic there, there's problems but God can use us and we can break down the, the units. You know, that's what Nehemiah did. He broke it down to make it possible that the people could understand this can be done. They have God on their side. They even have the king on their side. He knows they look at that. In order to get that job done. So, we might wrestle and let me tell you, from here on through Nehemiah, it's a wrestling match all the way through. But yet they get a lot of things done very quickly. Amazing. That's how God works. Nehemiah's a good example, isn't he? Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Bob, could you read us in prayer?
3: Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for tonight, hearing from your word again, and uh, help us Lord to uh, to ever be speaking to you and uh, bringing our thoughts and our praises, our desires and our, our needs to you Lord. We uh, learned from Nehemiah how this uh, relationship with you is, is a moment-by-moment moment reality,
1: not just a
3: momentary uh, thing when we're
1: you know,
3: thinking that we need to, to just uh, do something with you in mind. Lord, help us to always be mindful of committing each day to you, and as we rise from our beds to uh, to be talking to you, and and as we go to bed, as we go get ready to rest and uh, to sleep, uh, this grace that you give us of uh, sleep, Lord, uh, may we rest well. And, speak to you as we do that. Ever mindful of you, ever mindful of
1: uh,
3: that you provide to us, that God promises that you sustain us, that there isn't any good thing that we have that you haven't given us. Help us to always be thankful.